Hi, you are listening to Mediation Station, and this is your host, Greg Fenton. Each week we uh, explore topics and ideas related to the experience of people with conflict and look to promote the profession of conflict resolvers. We are available to connect with at greggf at primus.ca and 647-227-4734. Visit us at our Facebook page to like us and Facebook group page to become a member. You can also visit at both YouTube under CHHA, 1610AM, and Greg Fenton. Also, you can listen to recordings of each radio show as podcasts by visiting either pcrtoronto.org or soundcloud.com. Tonight, our topic for discussion is called Antagonistic Mediator or Not, with our visitors Alicia Bonick and Roderick Southwell. Also, uh, co-hosting with me is Jenny D'Alessandro. This week's radio show is a new approach for us where we have two visitors who will participate in a conversation on the topic called Antagonistic Mediator or Not. So the topic is based on an article that appeared on August 19th, 2016 in the Harvard Business Review. And the article was called Antagonistic Mediators Can Make Resolving Disputes Easier. So the article was written by Francesca Gino, a professor at Harvard Business School and is based on research done by Francesca with a couple of other people, Ting Zhang of Columbia Business School and Mike Norton of Harvard Business School. The premise of the article is about promoting antagonism in mediation that will lead the participants to resolve their differences. So each of the the two visitors tonight will present their point of view in favor of the premise or in favor of the counter-premise. Jenny and I will present some questions and comments to provoke each of our visitors as to their point of view. So uh, welcome, Lord Eric and Alicia. How are you each doing? I'm well, Greg. Thanks for having us here today. Yeah. And how are you? I'm also doing quite well. Thank you for having us. All right. Well, we'll see if that well sustains itself (laughs) or if it changes in some way. It's a deep well. Yeah. Well, 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 well. (laughs) So let's start the conversation by asking each of you to share some information about your yourselves. Well, I'm currently a research coordinator at Sunnybrook Hospital, and um, and I also have a background in psychology from the University of Toronto. And I'm a mediator, and I also have a background in psychology from Trent University. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you guys have much more about each other, though you don't have to share that at this moment. Maybe we'll get some more out of that. I'm just happy to be here today, Greg, with such a wonderful, beautiful lady here. And um, I'm sure she'll take it easy on me today. Are you trying to, like, uh, use some psychology to, uh, you know, affect... (laughs) Are you saying this is like reverse psychology, Greg? Yes. Is that some... Yeah. Your strategy? Why why, why do I need a strategy? Well, we'll find out, won't we? (laughs) Yes, we will. Yeah, I, I feel the power of that confident voice as it's projected through the microphone of Alicia. <laughs> and there might be some sense that uh, Roderick is, um, I don't know, putting on a, a front. Ouch. Yeah? Well, let's find out. Okay. Storefronts. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's start with why, by asking, why did you decide to participate in on a program regarding this topic? Well, um, as a mediator, I find it interesting to learn more about the the field. And this was a very interesting topic. It's something that is um, is quite different from things that um, many of my colleagues and even myself, we personally adhere to. However, 
um, still being open to all different point of views, I felt like it was something that was interesting to discuss and delve into. So I'm thankful for the opportunity to to address it. For me, I mean, when Roderick brought it up, I thought it would be great, at least from a research standpoint, to kind of dissect the way that they tried to go about researching this topic. And so from that standpoint, to go from the theoretical to the practical, I thought it'd be really interesting to kind of cover both of those grounds. Okay. Why does the premise of the article say to each of you? Would you like to go ahead, Alicia? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, the premise seems relatively straightforward based on what they've done. I mean, they had sets of nice mediators, neutral mediators, and um, antagonistic mediators. And Mm -hmm. all of them, they tried to see which ones had the best results. And from what the study seems to say, um, we have the antagonistic mediators who yielded the best results. There are a couple of things that I, from a research standpoint, kind of like to dissect. One of those is that, I mean, this is already in the business field specifically. Mm -hmm. Mediation occurs in many different departments, and so that's one thing to keep in mind. Um, I also don't really have any information on the quality and expertise of the mediators they used. Yes, they used nicer voices in one, and they were more angry in tone in another, but were they actually good at their jobs? I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. I don't have enough information from the study to sort of figure that out. So, I mean, there are a lot of other reasons that the antagonistic mediators could have come out on top based on the study that they did. Yes. Um, but from what they gave me, uh, I guess they're trying to conclude that it would be more generalizable than I think it really is. Why? Are there different kinds of qualities of mediators? I mean, I would hope so. (laughs) I think depending on how long you've been in the business, what niche you're in, if you have a specific type of mediation that you practice, um, and the school of thought you kind of have, all are different than something as simple as how nice you are or how antagonistic you are. I think all of those things play a part in how well the mediation goes. So let's, uh, Mm -hmm. Rod Eric, do your perspective on that same and then I think uh, it would be helpful for us to give some context and yeah. what right. what does antagonistic mean, anyways? Yeah, uh, Alicia makes a very good point that the um, the amount of experiences that each mediator has uh, that wasn't necessarily addressed in the article, so it's hard to know which mediator. So if if all the participants are not getting the same mediators, it's really hard to ascertain how how we view the results that that came about. But one of the things that I think is very important to mention about the 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 article is that it mentions mediation in business. And we know that business is different from community or let's say family mediation. So maybe that could be something that hints to why these results are the way they are. Well, isn't research just straightforward in terms of uh, what the outcomes say? Well, the difference in populations as well, right? Um, I would think that if you are that antagonistic behavior in a business world may be rewarded, however, in family, in, in your household, that may not be something that is very well received. Depends on which household you grew up in, of course. However, mm-hmm. for most of us, we would realize we would want someone to be more empathetic and understanding and listening. However, in, in some business cases, and in this article specifically mentions negotiation. When you're negotiating, many people like to hide their emotions and conceal that. Mm-hmm. So I think that's something that's important to to note. What, what does antagonistic mean in general to each of Let's you? Let's talk about that. In general, someone who's antagonistic is usually being provocative in, in their 
their speech, whether it be questions, whether it be statements that they make. It's it's something that is um, done purposefully to um, sort of like get under the skin of other people, right? So mm-hmm. um, the article says that individuals in this in this particular study ended up going against the mediator. They teamed up together to go against the mediator, and that's how they kind of came together to um, come to a resolution. Mm-hmm. In this way, that's how antagonism is helpful in relation to the article. So was it the mediator was getting under the skin of the Parties. parties involved? Yeah. What does that mean? That's a good question. It's not addressed in the article. <laughs> it doesn't say how. So no. is it they're they're upsetting them, or was it that they were being direct? So maybe they were just being a little bit more direct. I would love to know. Um, to be honest, if in the usual case of antagonism, if, if someone is being antagonistic to you, um, you, you kind of realize that they don't necessarily have your best interests at heart, um, and it's harder to trust that person based on, on an interpersonal. Uh, level. So in terms of the manner yeah. of some, the way someone's speaking, mm-hmm. the, the tone, the words we use, the words we don't use can yeah. all contribute to how we communicate. And mm-hmm. specifically in this circumstance of being antagonistic, we're trying to rub people the wrong way. Yeah, It's, it's more based on ourselves rather than on the parties in mediation, for example. Mm-hmm. Like we're trying to provoke them. We're trying to push them towards something that we feel would be mm-hmm. in their best interest rather than what ideally in mediation. And in some cases it could be in the form of a leading question, you know, um, like you're guiding someone to a particular uh, way, but instead of with a gentle touch, you're mm-hmm. yanking their hand and saying, come here. Though there are mediators out there who are very uh, directive mm-hmm. and settlement oriented, which is more about pushing the parties towards a certain outcome that's not necessarily as facilitative as many of us others are who are not settlement oriented mm-hmm. anything i mean i'd have to agree i think an antagonistic person would be an instigator usually someone with malintent and it's a little unclear as to the extent of the antagonistic mediators in this article um, i think i remember they said that they had angry tones and that they were a little sarcastic and again people interpret those things in very different ways um, but it is also, again, important to remember this is a business setting. They probably will be settlement-focused as opposed to family mediation mm-hmm. where we're going to have to live with these people for a long time moving mm-hmm. forward. In business, it's like we need to get this deal done, but we can't do it. You know, Even if it's colleagues, it's something that you don't have to necessarily go home with. Mm-hmm. So the approach that they're going to take is supposed to be a little bit different perhaps, but I don't think it should be generalized to all mediators. So when you when you heard this about, and I, um, Rod Eric first, and then you from the conversation with Rod Eric, what was your first reaction or response when you heard about antagonism connected to mediation? Uh, when I first heard this, it, it actually made sense. Um, you know, the, the popular saying, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. It makes sense that people will... Um, come together during times of an external threat, even though them, they themselves originally were um, not seen eye to eye. So it, it made sense before, prior to reading the article, and then finding out more information uh, in the article, like th- these are business settings, these are negotiators, um, which like Alicia said, like these are more settlement-driven types of um, contexts. So 
it made sense to me how that would work on a theoretical basis. And I think it's, 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 it's a good tool to have if you are a person who, especially if you're practicing in business mediation, I believe it's a tool that could be useful to you. However, it not, wouldn't necessarily be something I would say to make your go-to tool. Let me uh, just speak up from the article just a little bit of info. So in the introduction, in the business world, difficult conflicts often end up in the hands of mediators, third parties who are hired to help disputants resolve conflicts. When we imagine the typical mediator, we tend to think of a person who is nice and shows empathy to those in conflict. Indeed, manuals and books on mediation commonly indicate that a mediator should listen attentively to all participants and express empathy with their disputants, taking care not to appear to favor some people's ideas over, over those of others. So gaining trust by establishing rapport and understanding between the mediator and negotiators is a commonly espoused best practice for facilitating resolution of a dispute. Yet new research that I conducted, this is the, speak, the writer and the researcher, who is uh, Francesca, uh, with along with other people, suggests this conventional wisdom is wrong. We found that hostility from a third party, such as a mediator facilitating the dispute, can actually reduce conflict. We discovered that a mediator's stern treatment of both parties causes adversaries to unite against the mediator, which increases their willingness and propensity to reach agreement. Basic premise there. Mm-hmm. So the more uh, sort of assertive, all, uh, actually more approaching aggressive the mediator is, the more um, it seemed to provide an outcome where the parties in dispute with each other mm-hmm. sort of bonded together in, a, in an alliance and said, hey, basically, God, this guy's or a person <laughs> mm-hmm. because we don't know the gender. This facilitator is really whatever, getting under her skin. Let's get out of here. I agree with you. <laughs> what's, your, what's your perspective, Jenny? I would agree with Roderick on, on certain parts. I would say that um, there has been experiences that I've had where I could see that work, that it is a tool in the toolbox of a mediator where um, in the face of adversity, parties will come together to and unite against the against the mediator um, when you're showing... So, so, so I'll give you an example. Um, there's a dispute between uh, t- two parties and the mediator comes in with, a re- uh, with, with an idea of resolution. So let's say you owe a dollar and um, you owe a dollar and the, par- and the mediator says, okay, well, guess what? What will, might be... I'm just coming up with an idea. Um, what might be equal was both of you are going to pay $10 instead of $1 each. That's going to be the resolution and that's what's going to be a good idea. Well, that doesn't make sense to both parties, right? So they're going to, they're going to talk amongst each other and say, well, this mediator doesn't make any sense. It doesn't, no, 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 no. And they'll actually come together and say, no, no, the mediator is not making any sense. The mediator is sitting there going, no, no, no. This is what makes sense. And so they'll come together and say, oh, well, no, what we think maybe is $5 actually makes sense. And, and this is maybe better. And so the mediator will come and help them come to a better memorandum of understanding and come down to that $5. That's an, an example um, of where they come to a better understanding because of that antagonistic behavior of the facilitator, of the mediator in the room. Um, well, well, I'll present from the article. There's no, if I recall, there's no use of the word understanding. So many of us work as mediators, third parties, impartials, 
to try to help parties to gain understanding of each other's perspective that they generally don't have as much of or have a different understanding prior to coming together in mediation. This sounds like an intent where the mediator is purposely, right from the get-go, looking to push people towards a certain kind of outcome right? by using a certain kind of approach, which we all do as facilitators have an approach. Yet this seems to be a particular approach that is counterintuitive to what we generally teach or coach. Very much so. In the, in the uh, practice. Mm-hmm. Anything? I mean, one of the other things to think about is how you are going to build rapport with the people that you're actually working with. I, I think that it's not going to be a go-to, as Roderick said, to become antagonistic as soon as you start with your group of individuals. Mm-hmm. I think on a general term, that's not what most of us would appreciate if we were having an issue already to be faced with somebody who seems to be presenting us with another issue altogether. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that as an extra tool, it may be good, but at the same time, it, it would also be better to start out on a more empathetic tone and determine who it is that the people are you're working with and figure out what style would be best for this person instead of deciding right off the bat, I'm just going to be antagonistic. Well, why do we need to take an empathic approach anyways? Like, what are we there for? Feeling sorry for somebody? (laughs) Come on, people are in dispute. We don't, do we we really care as third parties? If, I think you you should. I think it depends also on the kind of mediation you're doing, but for most types of mediation, if you want to be resolving a conflict that you don't wish to come up again, you're going to want both of the parties to fully understand why it is there was a conflict in the first place. But we know it's not our conflict anyway, so I don't really care, per se. (laughs) And, you know, we have been hired by a company to resolve this particular conflict between company A and company B. So if we resolve this conflict, it's done and it's over with. And you get paid for it, And you it get too. paid for it, so why not be and use this tool, right? I would hope that um, you're looking for a referral after the end of the mediation. I mean, this is why this is problematic, because if you're a person who you're building your your career based on a reputation, not based on, let's say, you're working for one company, you're an in-house mediator for that. If you're building this solely on your re- reputation, then you'd want to have both parties leaving with a favorable impression of you. And that is the problematic part about the article. Uh, Although I do Mm -hmm. believe that in certain circumstances, um, like Alicia said and and even Jenny touched on, is is certain circumstances it could be useful when there is no other way or you try the empathetic route and that is not really working. So I want to pull out more of the article so it gives people who are listening who haven't accessed it yet some uh, better understanding. From the article, in a series of studies, we, which is the researchers, created situations in which negotiators were part of a heated dispute and gave them the opportunity to meet with a mediator. In one study, for instance, participants faced a, quote, nice mediator, one who spoke in a friendly tone and asked questions politely. Other participants faced a mediator who was more abrasive, spoke roughly, and used sarcasm. Still other participants faced a mediator with a more emotionally neutral style. Across different types of conflicts, we consistently found that negotiators were more willing and able to reach an agreement with their counterpart in the presence of an antagonistic mediator than in the presence of a nice or neutral mediator. So what is this saying? People who, quote, are nice as mediators are not very effective? You talked earlier about there being, you know, Alicia, about uh, there's different qualities of mediators. 
I would think so. I think there are different qualities of a lot of professions, mediation not being any exception to that. Um, individuals who have been in the field for five years must be in some way different than those who have been there for 15 or 20 years. Um, people who work specifically in business in this particular scenario would probably be more qualified than people who had worked specifically in family mediation before. Those things I don't think were specified enough in the article for me to know exactly how concrete and conclusive we should use the results of the study. Uh, it's also not clear the extent of the dis dis disagreements for each of the parties in all of them. I, I think if they were taking people at random, it's doubtful that they all had the same level of disagreement. I'm not sure how they were able to control for that to then determine that, yes, nice mediators really did finish last in this scenario. <laughs> You want to say? I have to agree. Skill level is an important piece that is 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 missing in this particular um, article. I'd, lo I'd love to see uh, a follow up or even a longitudinal longitudinal study that shows down the line how those relationships or even those resolutions held up afterwards. And but I look at it from the perspective of if you've ever had to babysit or if you're a parent perhaps and you're you have multiple children. You don't use the same approach for every child. Most likely not. You most likely have a different approach for the different um, children that are there because you realize that one is more effective for those individuals. And I think as a practitioner, you'd like to have the same thing. You'd have the different approach as the situation calls for it. Well, Jenny, with your son, do you always have the same approach right through a day with no. your son? No, different approach. Why? Why would that be? Because different parts of the day, he needs different things depending on his particular situation and his constitution. So, for example, if he hasn't slept or eaten, for instance, midday, if he hasn't slept yet, hasn't had his little nap, and he hasn't eaten lunch yet. So if it's 12 noon and he hasn't eaten and he hasn't had his nap, he's going to be pretty cranky. So I'm going to deal with him differently versus first thing in the morning. What would happen, though, if you uh, and Anastasio, your other half. Yes. You both align together to be somewhat approaching your uh, child and being consistent with that approach. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't that work to get the outcome that you were hoping for? You know, a lot of times uh, with parenting, yes. it's when each parent has a different approach and then the child can see the differences and then sort of hmm, use a strategy to um, approach the, each parent a certain way and sort of helps undermine that co-parenting relationship to sort of get the outcome that they want because they know the two parents are not always aligned. Yes. <laughs> just saying. Just saying. <laughs> so, well, so to just go back into the article, so I, I, I mentioned about the nice mediator and they found that the uh, presence of the antagonistic mediator, so the further comment is, so why would the antagonistic mediator? Because the adversaries united against the common enemy the hostile mediator. More generally, when two people share a mutual dislike of another person, research has found those two people will likely forge a closer bond. For instance, this other researcher discovered that when people have a third person or thing that, that they can demean jointly, whether classmate, celebrity, or even a song, the bond between them increases. Is that a mediation? No. Well, they say it is. And what do you, you guys, well, not Alisa, from our well, Lisa well, is saying... They say it's in research. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 
research is very theoretical also. Yeah. I think it takes out a lot of real-world variables. Um, or at least it doesn't take into account real-life variables because it's pretty impossible for it to take into account all of them. Uh, a lot of research also shows that even just the time of day that you conduct research changes the outcomes yes. of research. So it's kind of counterintuitive in some ways that we rely heavily on research in some fields because something as simple as the time of day, whether or not you ate breakfast, what time you ate breakfast, all of these seemingly trivial things all affect research. So even these results, when I'm trying to mm -hmm. sort of yes. make them or try to at least interpret them in as objective a way as possible, it's really difficult to see how in a practical sense what we would want to do seems to be something that in practice has not been done. But at the same time, even though mediators have not been antagonistic, they have been successful. So if something is not really broken, I don't know why we need to fix it. <laughs> Could you, Roderick, be antagonistic? Is that in your nature? Is that who you really are? As an approach, I believe mm -hmm. that it's a tool that I possess, not as my go-to tool. However, I at this point, I, would, I wouldn't use that tool readily. And I th believe it requires a lot of skill, mm -hmm. you know, just like if you're if you're trained in one particular tool, with using one particular tool, you don't just pick up another one. You don't just pick up like a jackhammer and you've never used it before. <laughs> You'd want to practice that mm -hmm. before or have the confidence um, within the other sets of tools that you're using, knowing that if you had to use that jackhammer as an alternative, this would be there to use as an alternative. Or as an option. Or as, <laughs> exactly, as an option, sorry. Yeah. In, in, in the most suitable situation. Well, we as mediators are hopefully developing a whole range of skill sets, mm -hmm. tools for our toolbox and inventory, as I call it, so that when we are in any given moment, we know which one of those mm -hmm. to identify and then sort of incorporate as part of a practice yeah. to help the parties in working. Though this premise of this is that you have a consistent approach right from the get-go, as I understand it, and that would be, hopefully, where the parties in dispute with each other would sort of, a, mm -hmm. you know, connect with each other yep. and, and align against the mediator. It's not generally how we try to organize a process. It's not the gang up type thing. Yeah. Uh, you know. And it may or may not work depending on the circumstance. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think even just the degree of the conflict is going to be a, a huge factor in that as well. Um, and I think it's... To some extent, as a mediator, you would have to assess the situation and determine, is this the type of conflict that would be bettered by me being antagonistic, or would I actually make the situation worse? If they're already at a point where they they will never speak to each other unless they're, or they're court-ordered to be in the same room to, together just to, to resolve an issue... I don't think at that point you want to be antagonistic. But if it's a more simple issue, and it's potentially in business where it's more negotiations with less of the emotional factor behind it, then perhaps that's a tool that you, you deem fit as a mediator, given the experience that you've had over the course of the years of your practicing. I mean, I've heard of mediators going in with an antagonistic approach, but they've also used um, other tools, for example, not feeding the parties. So there's no food, no lunch, no break. We're going straight through until we get to resolution. 
and so there's no break, no food. That's Which, called that's called starving mediation. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, I mean I've heard this where okay we're going straight through eight o'clock it's eight o'clock we're no we're gonna go another hour we're gonna go another hour and they push wow. it so well, you know there's water at the back of the room we're gonna go another hour and they push it and they push it and they're they're making them hungry and I've heard of other mediators where they bring fresh bread. Mm-hmm. Right, so there's tools that we use, right? Mm-hmm. And they bring fresh bread, and they're more of, okay, well we're gonna be here, and yeah. we're, you know, and let's pass around the rock, and let's do it this way, right? So there's different approaches, right, yeah. of how we do things. Mm-hmm. But again, it's just tools in our toolbox, and the way in which we use them. This article, like you said and pointed out, there's a lot missing. There's a lot of information that's missing. It's a, it's a, it came, it brought us this radio show. So it's something for us to talk about, mm-hmm. which is great. But uh, there's there's a lot of information that we need in order to bring it to the bring it into our toolbox and say, okay, well, you know, I'm going to use this approach, and it's going to be one of those approaches that I'm going to use every third mediation because it's going to work. Well, if either of you, yeah, you're about to say something. Say yeah, it. I'm wondering, as a participant um, in a mediation. If what type of approach you'd like to have a mediator, mediator to use, for instance, would you like how they would perceive um, such approach? For instance, if we're using, if you get a, an antagonistic mediator, would one of the parties or both parties perceive that since this person is not is equally <laughs> um, antagonistic, does that mean that they're not at least taking the other person's side? Do you see what I mean there? Well, what happens, I mean, if what about the whole dynamic, too, of control and power and abuse mm-hmm. in relationships? And then you bring people together, and one party of those two people mm-hmm. has been, quote, antagonistic anyways in their relationship. And then you have the mediator who sort of personifies that. Could it not be the party who has been subjected, experienced all that kind of uh, antagonism their life in terms of that relationship? They're going to somewhat, uh, are they more inclined to connect with their partner with whom they have this history against the mediator? I suppose in some way it depends on whether or not you care why they're connecting. Do you want them to connect because they're actually resolving the issue and understand one another's viewpoint? Or do you want them connect to connect for the sole purpose of completing the mediation because they don't like the mediator? Well, if one was to read this article research, it's all based on the participants and their experience of a process, and it has nothing from the context of the mediator in terms of their approach and their manner of how they try to affect and conduct the process. So on the surface, maybe it's true in some way that parties do tend to, though looking on the bigger picture, you might get parties to resolve things for the immediate and walk away, mm-hmm. aligned. Well, how productive and effective is that in terms of sustaining itself mm-hmm. further after the process for the parties to follow through with any commitments? I mean, what kind of commitments have they made? And how does that reflect on mediation as a whole? If the purpose mm-hmm. was solely to get people to settle and not necessarily to understand why one another, one person and the other person got there in the first place. That's fine to say. At the same time, there are mediators who do it this way. <laughs> True. And so who are, who are we to be in judgment of that? If they're effective and they have a, 
you know, make a livelihood out of it because we have a different, you know, view of this practice, especially if we instruct or coach other people who are looking to gravitate into the profession. Right, Eric, you as a product of that. Yeah, it's not something, if you were to tell me years ago when I decided to be trained in mediation and pursue mediation, that I had to be antagonistic, I would not sign up for it because that is just personally not how I choose to resolve um, things. However, it's interesting that some do, as you say. I don't mm-hmm. know any of my colleagues personally do. However, there are some mediators apparently who, who use this method. I would like to know, for the parties who do team up to sort of resolve their conflicts because in um, opposition to the mediator, I'd like to know why. I think it would be interesting to hear from them if it were possible, why they chose to align with the other party. And I'm not sure they all would have the same response if you were to do another study, for instance, and find out their 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 rationale for that. And I think that would be a nice follow-up. Well, with the antagonist hoster. <laughs> <laughs> trying yes. to provoke people here. We're, we're, we're being a little bit provocative this evening. Yeah, I mean... And, and I just wanted to, to say that I'm saying things that I don't necessarily believe in, by the way. I'm just being a little bit provocative. Which is fine, because... because uh, yes. I mean, I'm all about change. <laughs> and I think, really, conflict is about people's struggles with change in life. Yes. And so our his, our our work is to assist people through their struggles of, with change in yes, life. that's right. So if I was to uh, have clients who uh, were going through lots of struggles, you know, I'd have to sort of, uh, you know, check myself in terms of if I was, like, pretty aggressive or assertive in the, in the manner that it, it crossed the line for me, where I was trying to push them towards a certain outcome that was about them, uh, sorry, about me, I should say. Right. I mean, a lot of us believe in what's called self-determination, mm-hmm. where it's not about us. It's about the parties determining, defining for themselves whatever the outcomes are going to be. Yes. You guys? I like self-determination. It's, it's, I, I believe in it personally. Um, I believe that the parties should have the autonomy to make their own decisions, and usually those decisions that they make are ones that are more sustaining. And when you take away their power of choice... Now, then it becomes um, more difficult to be sustained. How would the two of you, if you were in a conflict together mm-hmm. and you needed the assistance of a third person, yeah. how would you feel that that third person, the facilitator, how would have this particular approach? How, what kind of impact might that have on you in terms of the conflict that existed before you got into the process? Me being me, I'd probably be like, you can't talk to her that way. <laughs> and but I'm talking to you the same way, too, remember. I'm like, you can't talk to me that way either, Greg. <laughs> or whomever the person mm-hmm. is that's not attached to you. It makes sense. It makes sense when there's a relationship already there with a the person that you don't want anyone to treat them in any way that is, that is ill. Um, however, you're doing it to the both of us. That's interesting. What do you think there, Alicia? I would personally think that the person was not very effective at their job. (laughs) Why would you say that? Because I I come from a psychology background, and specifically I've I've worked with a lot of therapists, both with just clinical psychologists and doctors right now, and um, occupational therapists. And I suppose, in part, it's my bias because it's what I'm used to. But I'm used to the professionals always being 
in some way, shape, or form the caregiver of the situation. They're taking control and they're doing it for your best interests and they do it in a way that makes you feel comfortable. And if I go to a professional and I'm paying for services, I would expect that treatment. And if that were not the treatment I initially received, I would assume probably, uh, like probably falsely, but based on my own experiences, I would assume that the person was not as qualified as someone I think that I should receive. Would you have ever taken the program, uh, you initially, where we connected, Mm -hmm. and then subsequent, the one that you uh, more recently attended, Mm -hmm. if the approach by the facilitator was uh, somewhat uh, aggressive like this? Aggressive, no. Not at all. Or Um, abrasive? No. uh, Antagonistic? I would say, though, the the one thing that surprised me much, I I did one um, program initially earlier. There was one training session that I did where the approach was very directive. And it was a style that many people were uncomfortable with. However, I thought in a certain and very specific situation, I can see this style being very efficient for both parties. However, I'm not at the, I don't think any of us in the training, we are not at the caliber to be executing that, that more directive style of mediation. I think starting off for all mediators is effective to learn how to listen actively, learn how to emote, learn how to help other parties communicate by reflecting what they say and, and doing all the different other active listening tools. And I think if you were looking to start off just being very directive or even aggressive, you would find that it's not something that will work well for you. Or And, and maintaining that right through the whole process. Yeah. What I would say is that we as effective mediators acquire, learn of, learn and about uh, a range of approaches, tools, so that we can incorporate those in the moment, in what could be best needed as we identify, because that's where we're hired to assist mm-hmm. parties. So, yes, sometimes it needs a compassionate, empathic approach. Other times it might need a little reality checking, where we're trying to get people to second-guess or question in some way some of the things that they're saying and some of the decisions they're hoping to make. Is that realistic for you? Have you really thought more deeply about that? What are the potential risks or the consequences? So those are some of the we call pushbacks just to get people to better connect with some of their comments, their statements, their feelings, and ultimately their decisions. If you want to call that whatever you want to call it, in the moment, that helps. Yes, it encourages people to get a better understanding, get deeper connected to the decisions they ultimately have to follow through with. To maintain or sustain that as an approach right from the get-go, right to the end point, that's problematic for some of us. We got to close out uh, very soon, momentarily. You guys have any uh, each, starting with you, Alicia? Uh, I mean, I think one of the takeaways, at least with this article and in research in general, I find is to take a little bit away from it, but not use it as a concrete dictionary of this is how it should be done. I mean, to kind of make it a dichotomy as should we be antagonistic or not seems to be a little broad and not very specific given the nature of human beings. I think sometimes you can be antagonistic if the situation calls for it and if you feel that as a mediator. And other times you shouldn't. And uh, I don't think we should put it in one of those two boxes. And I'd like to add that I, I believe that what good research does is at the end of it you ask more questions than you originally had. So I believe this was good research that was done. It brings something new to the table and it also allows the readers 
us and, and people in the field to ask more questions and find out more about the actual study. Any parting comments? Thank you for coming. This was a brilliant conversation. Thank really, really appreciate it. Thank you, Thank you so much. Thank you. I mean, everybody's out there. They got their own uh, perspective on things. And uh, what works for one it may require something in terms of somebody else. So, yeah, go with the flow. <laughs> Anyways, thanks very much for the conversation tonight. You've been listening to Mediation Station on CHHA 1610M.